Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive, mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. All right. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited you guys are here with us. Um, and we just wanted to shout out all of our listeners, newbies, oldies, everyone in between. Um, we're so grateful for you guys for listening. So today we have an unbelievably smart, brilliant, basically genius guest, Dr. Tom Bain, right? <laughs> It's like so many adjectives. He's going to be like, wow, thanks guys. He's like a huge brain. I don't know. Yeah. He does have a huge brain. He's just, he's just incredibly full of so much information surrounding the gut and the microbiome that he's able to take a really complex subject and like break it down to make it a little bit, I would say it's still like a little bit higher level information, but I feel like he also is able to break it down and have it make a lot of sense. He does make it easy to understand. I think that's one of his gifts. Like he can take, that's what I love about him. Like, as you know, his practice is like across the street from my practice. Right. Literally sometimes Dr. and Carrie and I, before when he launches new products, we're like, we're coming over at lunch and you're like telling us what this stuff does. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> and he'll do I it in like that. 20 minutes, you know, we'd That's be like, so awesome. like I know. You know. Right. So, and Megaspore is just like, I mean, that's like one of the big products that he talks about. And if you guys want to try it, there's a link and um, in our bio on our website. So you can definitely check it out. But I would just say that his products like, are everywhere now. It's amazing. And yeah. I just, I don't know. Cause I remember it's amazing when he, to see when he and started I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I love how he um, is so into the research and respects the research. You know, a lot of products in like natural health really have very poor, if any research at all, cause they're mm-hmm. not regulated. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, None of the research shows that any of this stuff works. And he goes through the years and years of work to prove that his products work and that they contain what they say they contain. And so I just love that he really like stands behind what he's doing as well. And is like such a, for lack of a better word, like snob for quality. Yeah, I think so too. I love all the research that they've done into their products. And I thought it was hilarious when he's like, I just thought everybody was doing this. Right. I thought that <laughs> was just nobody like is. the standard and well, nobody's doing it. So, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. He's funny too. You guys will see. And the funniest thing about the episode, Dr. Nicole and I were talking about it. Like we feel like it's literally him talking for an hour. And the only other things that are happening is Dr. Nicole and I are like, wow, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So but that's how point, good it is. We yeah. didn't even have anything to say. <laughs> speechless. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. So yeah, you guys are going to totally enjoy this episode. If you love things gut and all related and are curious about probiotics and what they do and how come there's so many and how to pick the right one, then this episode is for you. Yes. And so just check out the show notes or go to our website, 
um, coffeewiththedocs.com. Under the section, Our Partners, we have where you can link to buy Megasporebiotic because, you guys, it is physician-grade, so you cannot get this stuff at any health food store. You have to get it through a referral, so we're hooking you up. Yep. So enjoy. And as always, if you have any feedback or we would love it if you leave us a review, uh, that just makes our day to read them. So thanks again and enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. Today, we have a very special treat. We have Dr. Tom Bain with us. And it's awesome because we are also recording with Dr. Nicole. So you get all three of us today. Hey, And so we are going to talk with Dr. Tom all about gut health, probiotics, specifically spore-based probiotics, and get into all the nitty gritty. But before we really get started, I'm going to have um, Dr. Tom introduce himself to you guys. Thank you for having me on, ladies. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, good talking with you guys. Um, um, I'm a, I'm trained as a chiropractor, but I have a, about 25 years of functional medicine background. So, uh, my practice has been very gut centric for the last 20 years. Uh, I work a lot with, uh, Crohn's colitis, irritable bowel, uh, those types of patients and autoimmune diseases that are associated with that. Uh, about seven years ago, not quite seven years ago, I started, uh, along with a partner of mine, I started the company Microbiome Labs, uh, where we focus on spore-based probiotics and the benefits of those probiotics in just about every digestive disorder, autoimmune disease. We're doing tons of research. That's what I'm kind of here to talk to you guys about is some of that research and some of the cool things we're doing and, and, uh, how we're disrupting the probiotic space and, uh, having fun doing it. Awesome. Thank you so much. So one kind of fun thing we always start out with Dr. Tom with everyone we interview is we ask you two questions. So the first question, because our podcast name is coffee with the docs, we want to know what is your drink of choice? Like, what are you drinking lately? Anything fun and exciting? Man, I'm a water guy. I don't, right. drink, I don't <laughs> drink hot fluids. I, I wow. never liked coffee. Actually, coffee, um, I, I don't like how it tastes. I don't like anything about coffee. Right. I, so basically drink, water right. with the dogs. Water. <laughs> this is water with the dogs. Yes, yeah. perfect. Um, I, I've tried to do some tea uh, recently. It's a new thing in my life. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm a water guy. Now, what type of water filter do you use? So at home and in my office, I have a whole house filtration system from Aquasana. And uh, I I use that. Yeah. Great. All right. That's great. Yeah. And so then our second question is, what is your latest biohack? So it's latest is, you know, I, I... for me personally, and then also I've applied with my parent, my patients is, um, is I, I had phenomenal changes with my body physically when I incorporated intermittent fasting and high intensity interval training. Uh-huh. And so I, that, that's been, that was my hack. I lost 9% body fat in like six weeks. Wow. I, uh, I felt amazing, but I continue to do it more because of the mental stuff. So when I, 
because of my business exploits, I don't see patients as much as I used to. I, I still do. Um, in fact, I saw patients yesterday, but I, I was finding myself when I was seeing patients a lot, when I would have a difficult patient, I was finding myself late in the afternoon saying to people things like, could you come earlier in the day? Because I'm just not on my game mentally mm. at this mm. point. And, you know, your case takes a little bit more mental fortitude that right. I, I don't have at five o'clock at night. And so I, and I kind of was just accepting that that was where I was in life. And right. when I dropped the body fat and I was doing the uh, high intensity interval training, uh, my brain came back. And uh, wow. so I awesome. continue to do it for that reason. I'm, I'm not, obviously I'm not continuing to lose body fat because I would wither away to nothing, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's been the best hack for me. And it's been, I've been doing it now for two years, really consistently. Wow. And um, how, Tom, how long do you have fast for? So I definitely 16 hours. So there's research that shows that there's certain bacteria in your gut that don't exist there or that we can't find them until you fasted for 15 hours or longer. And those bacteria are really important for uh, uh, keeping the mucin layer in the intestinal tract healthy. And so so I do minimum 16 hours, I do it seven days a week. Um, I try to work out before I break my fast. Uh Um, That's that's like, if I can do that two or three days a week, I feel really good about that. Um, And so, yeah, so so that's how I've been doing it, yeah. That's awesome. That is. I love fasting. I think that's cool. I didn't know that it related to bacteria. So that's super cool. I knew you'd have some crazy fact like that. Everything relates back to bacteria. Yeah. I know. What was I even thinking? Of course, Dr. Tom would have some gut connection there. Gosh, everything, bacteria. (laughs) Even Tom. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Tell us a little bit about how you got into like health and wellness, but specifically the gut health and the microbiome stuff. Well, if I go all the way back, I have to give credit to the woman of my life, my wife. Uh, I met my wife when I was in chiropractic school uh, and she was, um, had come to chiropractic school to be a holistic physician. I had gone to chiropractic school to be a sports physician. Um, and so I met her and she said, well, if you want to spend time with me this weekend, I'm going to be at this nutrition seminar. I'm going to be at this <laughs> applied kinesiology <laughs> seminar. And so I started tagging along with her and, and, uh, I just really, uh, really just fell in love with it. And, uh, so after we graduated, we, um, moved to Belgium where she was from and we helped her dad run his company, which he had two chiropractic practices where he'd been doing functional medicine and, uh, and we, he started a company a few years before we got there where he was importing products from the U S and selling them throughout Europe. And so we started working with him and his company and we did that for almost five years and then sold that company to Metagenics. So Metagenics Europe is my father-in-law's old company. And that's really where I cut my teeth in, uh, in natural medicine, both from, a an understanding of the principles of natural medicine and then on the business side, as far as clinical trials, uh, product development, uh, marketing to doctors, things like that. So, 
So that's, uh, I, I, I owe, I owe everything to my wife. Uh, love that girl. But, uh, but she, she got me into it and, and, uh, we, we've been uh, business partners since we came back to the U S in 99. Uh, I started in a group practice in, uh, in the Northern burbs of Chicago in 99. And, um, stayed active in the supplement community. Uh, I started importing some products from, from Europe and distributing them in the, in the U S and working with docs here in the U S. And then about seven years ago, six and a half years ago, I, I, uh, started a company with a, a group of uh, my partners and, um, that company was built on the new concept around probiotics that we had been studying. Uh, moving into the the spore based probiotics, and so that's uh, a company that I work with now, Microbiome Labs, that I'm co-founder of, and uh, and we focus on spore based probiotics, and we do clinical trials and research studies around those spore based probiotics, and uh, we're really seeing some really interesting things. It's a it's a disruptive story uh, in the probiotic market, you know. Um, for as long as I've been in this industry, I have 25 years practicing. And so um, I've been told that we could reseed the bowel with good bacteria, that we're going to eat these bacteria. They're going to go live in your bowel. They're going to live happily ever after, make baby bacteria, and, and, and they're going to grow uh, in your intestinal tract. And, and the reality is that there's absolutely no science that proves that, that, that that's just not true. There's survivability issues. Most of the bacteria that you see on the shelves in grocery stores and at Walgreens and stuff, it's dead in the capsule. Those bacteria aren't alive in the capsule. Some of the better ones, some of the better ones in the professional market, they are alive in the capsule. Um, but we sh we've done many tests. We can't find that any of them have the ability to survive through the, the tiers of defense that our body has of letting bacteria get into our intestinal tract. You know, the stomach's an incredible barrier to entry. 95% uh, of the bacteria that you put in die in the stomach. But the ones that do survive the stomach, your lactobacillus acidophilus, it loves acid, so it lives in the stomach fine. But as soon as it hits the bile salts, dead on contact. And wow. so, so we, have, we have built in mechanisms to not allow bacteria to just slip into our large intestine. Otherwise, I think uh, humans would be dropping dead of intestinal infections left and right. Mm -hmm. um, but yet the industry is built on these marketing principles that, you know, we're going to feed you these bacteria and they're going to colonize in your intestines and, and, and you live happily ever after in there. And, and that's not true. And, and, the, and the fact is, is that the bulk of the bacteria that live in your intestinal tract are anaerobic. And so how does a, a, a bacteria that lives in an aerobic environment and is surviving in an aerobic environment, how does it survive? the almost exclusively anaerobic conditions of, of the large intestine. And, and, and the reality is it doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. Those types of bacteria have very limited benefits. Um, and so when we were looking at the probiotic market and saying, you know, where's all the research and why, why isn't there studies? And, and is it true that more is better? You know, we were, we were told two things. One's in the refrigerator are the best. And more is better. So if yours is only 50 billion. Mine's 100 billion. Oh, yours is 100. I got 150. Where's the science for that? There's absolutely no studies that prove either of those points. Those are marketing points. 
but doctors like us accept them as fact. And so, so we saw this big hole in the market and we also noticed that there were certain probiotics that were being used in other industries like agriculture, aquaculture, and these, but not being used in the human uh, markets. And so we started doing some studies with, with uh, some of these environmental organisms, organisms that we see in our environment. You know, where did caveman get 50 billion CFUs of lactobifido? I mean, there's, there is nowhere. It's, there, it doesn't exist in, in our environment. Yet there are organisms that exist in our environment that were on our food supply. They were part of, of, of how man developed. They were in our environment. We were exposed to them on a daily basis. And then when they got into our digestive tract, they actually performed probiotic benefits. And those were the spore formers. And so we started working with the spore formers about 12 years ago. We started working with them. Um, but it took us almost seven years to get a finished product because we couldn't keep it stable. It, it took us seven years to figure out how to work with these bugs so that we could make them stable uh, and deliver them to, to the patient. So, so that's, that's been my journey of, of late is, uh, is really understanding the, the science of probiotics and, uh, and, and disrupting that market saying to the docs, you know, well, I hear what you're saying, but show me the research that proves your point. And, and then the doc realizes, oh my God, I've been just pushing marketing information and not really science. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And that's like one of the reasons I think we were so excited to have you on is everybody now knows and has heard of a probiotic for the most point or most part. And so I think a lot of people are still running out to Walgreens or whatever after they um, have a run of antibiotics and they're picking up whatever they can find on the shelves. And so I just think it's so important to arm people with that information that really they're not all created equal. And according to your research, it seems like a lot of them really aren't even doing much. Well, and here's the thing, like, you know, I, I run in, in, in the industry when I'm in industry meetings, I run into company owners all the time and they want to challenge me. And, and I say, show me your research. So this is what they do. Say they put 10 strains in their formula, right? 10 strains that, are studied strains, but those strains are studied individually. And they're typically studied in, in, in quantities of somewhere between one and five billion. So you have one study, Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, for the treatment of chronic urinary tract infections. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't dispute that research. I don't dispute it at all. And so, and then they have another one, uh, Bifidobacteria infantis, for the reduction of uh, colds and flus. Okay. I don't dispute that research. Don't tell me you're going to put those two together. And now they work together to do all three of those things. It's like, that's, that's, it doesn't work that way. That's not science. Right. If you want to prove that that finished formula with all those strains in it does all of what the, each of the individual strains do, you have to do a study with the finished product. None of the companies in the professional market, none of the companies in the retail market, are doing studies on the finished product. When they hand you their research, they're handing you the studies on the individual strains. Mm -hmm. And so they're using that data to sell you a multi-strain formula 
And they're using that data that says we only used one to five billion to sell you more and more CFUs. We're going to sell you 50 billion of it, even though the study was only on one to five. Wow. It's, it's crazy. And, and really, even within the supplement industry, there's, there, you know, if, if we're sitting here, the three of us are here and we say, hey, let's make an antioxidant. Uh, well, let me tell you how that works. So we're going to put together a formula with, say, four or five different antioxidants. I'm going to take that. I'm going to have to go to the different suppliers of that. I'm going to have to get uh, the certificates of analysis. I'm going to have to do before and after testing of that ingredient. When I get it, I'm going to have to test it by itself. Then I'm going to have to test it after I've made the product. I'm going to have to test it and prove that that vitamin C is in that product. But guess what? In the supplement industry, the only thing you don't have to do that with is probiotics. So I can wow. show you what went in, but I don't have to show you what came out. Okay. And that's not science. You can't, you can't say, because who knows what happened? These are live organisms. So I'm going to throw 10 of them in a vat, and I'm going to ferment them for 30 days. Did one of them crowd out the other nine? Mm -hmm. uh, did they all die because one made some kind of waste product that killed off every, all of them? I mean, we just don't know, and none of them do any research. And so that, that's, that, that's the biggest rub. And, and it's, it's bad for the industry. You know, it used to be 25 years ago when I got into this, you didn't have to prove anything. You know, you just, and that was really bad for the industry. And it was companies that were living to higher standards that were getting doctors and people like that to buy from them because they just were doing simple post-production testing to say, yeah, my label says a gram of vitamin C and here's the analysis that shows there's a gram of vitamin C. And so, so 25 years ago, that's, that's how companies became big, especially in the professional space is they just started doing post-production testing. Well, now you have to do it. Right. right. But the only thing you don't have to do it with is, is uh, probiotics. Wow. That's wow. really crazy. Right. Tom, I'm going to have you back up just a little bit and explain to people what spores actually are. Yeah. It, you know what? There's bacteria on the planet. There's all kinds of bacteria. And, you know, if you're, if you're one of those germaphobes, I don't know what to tell you, but bacteria <laughs> are everywhere. You cannot, it, it's not about, you know, we've got this crazy stuff going on with the viruses right now in China and all this we got people, people walking around with masks on their face. It's not about the organism. It's not about the infection. It's about your resistance to infection. Mm. That's what it's about. You cannot oh, wow. live in an antiseptic environment. Right. There are bacteria everywhere. Some bacteria have the ability to form a spore. And what that means is when they're in an environment that's, that they consider to be inhospitable, they don't like it. There's not enough food. The temperature isn't right. The pH isn't right. Whatever it is, they dehydrate themselves. They form a tough outer protein coat and they go into a dormant state and they wait for their environment to change before they become, before they come out of spore form and become an active bacteria again. And so spore form bacteria, when they're in spore form, have the ability to survive through stomach acid. No problem. hundred percent intact. And so the key was getting them to stay in spore form. It, that was a, that took seven years for us to figure out how to do it. <laughs> so the particular class of bacteria that we look at are the bacillus strains. They're all spore formers. 
And there's five particular strains that have individually had lots of research, human research on safety and efficacy, um, using them as single strains. So what we did is we took five of them and we put them together and then we started studying them as a group. And what we found was that it was really a consortium that, that they fed off each other. They didn't necessarily do different things when they were together, but they functioned at a higher capacity when they were together. Mm. We were getting 20% more output from them than we were when they were, we were giving them alone. And so we saw this initially just in Petri dishes and just in the lab, but then we started testing it in patients and we started looking at just not clinical studies yet. We were just looking at changes in, in symptoms with patients. And we started seeing some really remarkable changes with the patients. So then we're like, we got to do a clinical trial. So we did 90% of what I just explained. We did all of that before we even commercialized the product. Wow. Now, nobody does that. So no. we spent over a half million dollars before we sold one bottle of product. Wow. And so, and, and it's not, because, and I don't want to sound like, look at me, ha ha ha. You know, it's like, that's how it should be. Yes. That, that's how it's supposed to be done. That's how practitioners like you guys expect the companies that you buy products, you expect them to do those kind of things, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't know any better. We didn't know they weren't doing that. We thought, hey, if we want to play with the big boys, we got to do it right. And only then once we did it right, we were like, hey, wait, we're the only ones. That <laughs> the only right people <laughs> that do it. <laughs> so, so, so these are, they're very unique bacteria. And, and so the oldest living thing that has ever been documented is a spore-based bacteria. It was found in a cave in California. It was uh, a, like a salt crystal cave. And they melted down one of the salt crystals and Bacillus subtilis was inside the salt crystal. Now they did carbon dating on the salt crystal. The salt crystal is 250 million years old. Wow. They melted down the salt crystal, got the Bacillus, uh, the Bacillus subtilis out of it, put it on a plate and grew it up. It grew. 250 wow. million years it had been in a dormant state. And when we gave it the right conditions, it grew. So a little Jurassic Parkish there, but yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. So, so the oldest living, so we have, we, as humans, we've co-evolved with these organisms. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but here's, here's like where it, the science just gets even crazier because like, here's three of us having a conversation. Each of us has our own microbiome and that microbiome is exactly like a fingerprint. It is completely different. If either one of you had a twin and you lived with them and ate the same foods and did the same things, we would be able to tell the, the two twins apart. And so, so there's over a thousand different beneficial bacteria in your microbiome out of 35,000 possible. Okay. So I'm going to give you 10 bacteria at 50 billion CFUs every day. But the truth is, is, if those bacteria really did what they thought they were doing, we'd be making people sick. We'd be creating redundancy in the microbiome because mm -hmm. diversity in the microbiome represents health. The more diverse your microbiome is, the healthier it is. Right. So if we drive it from the thousand beneficial species to 10, we're making it sick. We're making the person and their microbiome sick. And so thank God those, those types of bugs don't work because if they did, we'd be making people sick. 
Wow. Uh, so what the spores do is different. They don't receive the bowel. They don't go in and colonize and live there forever. What they do is they go in, they're like the police of your intestinal tract. They go in in relatively small numbers. They go in, they use quorum sensing to speak to the bacterial environment, and they know who's supposed to be there and who's not. And they know that basically on the, based on the type of bacteria. And so most of the bacteria that lives in your gut is gram-negative bacteria. And so, so, but they're able to see that, you know, there might be a C. diff or there might be an E. coli infection that doesn't belong there. And so what they do is they go and they fight with that bacteria or they fight with that yeast and they want to clean out those, the microbiome from having that. They, they don't want to be around those bacteria. So they fight with them to get rid of them. And they have the ability to produce 25 different antibiotics. If they're having a hard time fighting with them, they'll just say that heck with it, let's make antibiotics and kill this thing. So, so, so they'll do that. But then while they're doing that, they're making waste products and those waste products are food for the bacteria that you got from your mom, the, the microbiome, the thousand species of bacteria that you got from your mom that make up your, your healthy microbiome. So they're getting rid of the bad guys and they're stimulating the good guys to grow and increase in their numbers. That's science. That's wow. supported by reams of studies. That's supported by uh, continuing the studies we've continued to do to build on on those initial studies. And so, you can't your 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 microbiome is so intelligent, it doesn't just let some silly bacteria come in and live there. Now, I can't look you in the eye. I can't muscle test you. I can't draw your blood. I can't do. There's no way for me to know what thousand species make up your microbiome. Even stool testing is antiquated and, and not very effective for, for doing that. And so, so I have no way of knowing which bacteria I should be putting into your microbiome. So that's why we're going to change that story. I'm not putting any into your microbiome. Mm -hmm. I'm cleaning out your digestive tract, getting rid of the pathogens, and creating an environment that's conducive for the bacteria that you got from your mom to thrive. That's science. Wow. That's awesome. That's pretty amazing. And so Tom, you talked about like a lot of this stuff lives in our environment naturally. Why is it that people can't get the spores they need from food? So, so spores are transient organisms in your digestive tract. They spend 21 to 28 days in your gut and then they leave, right? Mm -hmm. So when they leave, they get into the environment. Now, poor farming practices, pesticides, herbicides have pretty much stripped all the bacteria out of our food supply. So when our grandparents ate an apple, it was probably covered in spores. Uh, when we eat an apple now, even if it's organic, there's little to no spores on it. It's, mm. it's been removed wow. from our diet. Um, and so, 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 you know, if you live, and, and I encourage my patients to do that. I encourage my patients to start a garden and, uh, and, and to, to seed their, the soil with, with some spores and, and improve the quality of the soil in their garden and, and try to recreate that, you know? Um, and for people that are relatively healthy, that's a great ongoing way to, uh, to hopefully, you know, improve the quality of the food in their, in their diet, but also um, give themselves a, you know, a daily dose of, of spores to, to kind of clean out their digestive tract. Mm -hmm. 
But when we're talking about sick people and we're talking about people that, that need to get healthy, um, there's just no way the, the, the food supply is, is going to be enough. Right. I mean, that totally makes sense. What are a couple examples of how taking the megaspore biotic has helped shift someone's health in like a positive way when maybe other things haven't worked? So, you know, the, the thing for us was, you know, I, even before I started doing this, if you wanted to know my home run stories, I could tell you a home run story. We all got them. If you see patients, you got a home run story. You know, you could say, right. oh, this, I, I have a patient came in. Uh, 18 years old, was about to have 16 inches of his colon removed. I gave him some products. Two weeks later, he canceled the surgery. I saw him six months ago. He's working downtown. Um, He's got his entire colon intact. And boom, home run, baby. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. But for every one of those, we all have 100 failures, right? And so, so the thing is, is that it's, it, I, I can tell you stories, right? We all have them, but the clinical research, the double blind placebo controlled trials, that's where the data's at. And so what, what we did is we met a researcher at the University of North Texas who was doing a study on metabolic endotoxemia. Big words, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> metabolic endotoxemia is the translocation of bacterial, bacteria and bacterial waste products into the bloodstream one to six hours after you eat a meal. People like us call it leaky gut. Right. But the smarty pants medical doctors, they call it metabolic endotoxemia. <laughs> so this guy had a, um, a, a way of testing that. He had a way of challenging healthy patients to create this endotoxic response. So what, his, what he did was he brought in patients, 19 to 31 years old, college students at the University of North Texas. College students will do anything for 20 bucks. And so we brought them in and we fed them a McDonald's breakfast. And after the McDonald's breakfast, we started drawing their blood every hour. And at the five hour mark, after they ate that breakfast, we saw a five to six X spike in the poisons in their blood that came from their gut. Oh my the gosh. That spilled <laughs> the LPS that spilled into their bloodstream after they ate that high fat, high carbohydrate, lack of nutrition meal. So gross. Yes. So we actually showed, and it was published, that one McDonald's breakfast created two weeks of inflammation in the digestive tract. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and it's not just a McDonald's breakfast because we did the same thing with a cheese pizza from a gas station. And so, so it's a combination of fat and refined carbohydrate that seems to give the highest endotoxic response. So we have this system now where we can create endotoxemia in healthy patients. Mm-hmm. So we sent them home with a 30 day supply of the probiotic, no change in diet, no change in lifestyle, college students. They're not doing anything good for the microbiome, right? Take the probiotic, come back on day 31, do the challenge again, and let's test your blood. We completely blunted the amount of LPS that split that spilled into the bloodstream. We wow. sealed up the gut, but not only did we do that, we reduced a number of inflammatory cytokines. We showed positive changes in ghrelin, the hunger hormone, 
See, because when you eat a 2,000 calorie meal of, of nutrient deficient food, Mm-hmm. Your brain will tell you, hey, idiot, you got to eat again because there was no nutrition in that food. Right. So even though you've got 2,000 calories in your belly, your brain's telling you you're still hungry. Wow. So that's a disconnect between the gut and the brain. The gut should be saying, yeah, brain, I know we didn't get any nutrition here. Bad food choice. I won't do it next time. Let me digest this 2,000 calorie meal. I'll get back to you in five hours. But it doesn't do that. It loses the connection. And so... We actually showed that, that by taking the probiotic, we had better communication between the gut and the brain. Even though they ate the bad meal, their hunger reflex didn't come on as quick. Wow. And that's so amazing that they changed nothing about their diet. Nothing. They just added Megaspore. I know. Exactly. It's crazy. And so then we also showed positive changes in insulin and glucagon. Right? And these are in healthy patients. The last thing we showed in, in the initial test was we showed a 30% reduction in triglycerides. Wow. Now, these weren't people with elevated triglycerides. So why is that? Now, I didn't know why it was, but I know now, so I'll tell you guys. But I was like, what, what, is that? what does triglycerides have to do with this? Well, triglycerides are produced by your liver in response to stress. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the easiest thing for, and I have this conversation with my patients a lot, for whatever reason, Consumers understand that alcohol bangs up your liver. So if somebody comes in and says, I drink a fifth of Jack Daniels a day, you would not honestly say to yourself, what are you doing? You're killing your liver. And everybody understands that, right? Some people's guts make two-fifths of Jack Daniels worth of stress to their liver a day. Now, it's not alcohol, but when you're talking about the amount of stress on the liver, it's twice as much as a fifth of Jack Daniels. Wow. And so how does the body, how does the liver respond to that stress? It pumps out triglycerides. Mm -hmm. So by sealing up the gut and preventing the poisons from spilling into the blood, we took the stress of having to clean up that mess off the liver and the liver stopped producing high triglycerides. Wow. So so we've gone on to prove this. So, So this is the one study we did. Now from that to date, 26 other studies have spun off that one study. So we did a high triglyceride study. We, we actually took patients who had high triglycerides and we showed that same 30% reduction in their number uh, by giving them a probiotic. But, That's so but, cool. Yeah, but what ended up happening was this metabolic endotoxemia has been frustrating a lot of researchers for a long time. Every autoimmune disease researcher knows that metabolic endotoxemia is at the root of their disease. Name your autoimmune disease and name your autoimmune disease and and go to Dr. Google and put metabolic endotoxemia in it and you will find thousands of studies. It's It's the cause of every autoimmune disease. Can't really say that. I shouldn't say that. It is the cause it's believed to be the cause of every autoimmune disease. It is the cause of many that's been proven, but it's believed to be the cause of all of them. It's definitely the cause of every digestive disorder that we know of. It's the primary number one thing that you can count on to to, to measure for a patient who's going to go from dysglycemia to diabetes. The number one marker, the only thing that will definitively tell you that is LPS in the blood. Mm -hmm. And so it's, part of the HIV enteropathy. Why do some people live with HIV and never get AIDS? 
and other people rapidly develop, uh, rapidly go from HIV to developing AIDS and die. Why? This is even before we had uh, the antivirals, we would see this. People would live long times with HIV and not have a problem where other people would die quickly. Guess what? HIV enteropathy is the worst of all leaky guts. Wow. HIV patients have the worst leaky guts. And so, um, and so the, the, all of these other studies that we're doing have spun off because when we published a study and showed we had a tool that fixed metabolic endotoxemia, immediately everybody wanted to talk to us. So this is a funny story. So I got a call one day in my office and this guy says, I, I need to talk to you. I'm a doctor. Patient came in, show me your stuff. Um, it shows that you can, your, your product can increase concentrations of certain strains of bacteria in, in the microbiome. So yeah, that's correct. I can send you the study. <laughs> so this guy, Harvard undergrad, Harvard med school, uh, Yale postdoc, Stanford postdoc, one of the leading uh, oncological dermatology guys in the world. When he was 35 years ago, he, there's something in medicine called checkpoint therapy or immunotherapy. It's a treatment for people with certain types of cancers. Melanoma is one of them. Small cell tumors of the lung is another. And there's some other obscure ones. This is a, it's a well-known therapy. And it's pretty amazing because you can have someone with stage four cancer. They start this immunotherapy and they, boom, they're done. Cancer's gone. They're healthy. And it works in about 20% of the people they give it to. And mm. uh, 60% of the people they, or 70% of the people they give it to, it does nothing. And then the, uh, the rest of the people, it makes them worse. And so they've known this for 30 years. And so this doc figured out that the only difference with people that it worked in versus people that it didn't work in was the types of bacteria that were in their microbiome. That was the only difference. Wow. And we had studies that showed that we could increase those keystone strains short chain fatty acid producing strains like acromantia and fecalum bacterium. And so, so these are key strains. So this guy says to me, he's like, listen, if your product can do what it did in healthy people in cancer patients, then the survivability with checkpoint therapy is going to go from 20% to 50%. Wow. By my calculations. So right now we're in, in May, I'm going to Romania because you can't do cancer studies in the U S so we're doing a, a study on non-small cell tumors of the lung in Cluj, Romania. And so I'm going there to meet with the researcher there um, because they're, everyone who's read our data, you know, they're not convinced that it's going to do the same thing in cancer patients. That's what they need to see. But they are convinced that if it does do what we've done in healthy patients, that this is going to be a game changer for people with cancer. Right, totally. We had no concept of this when we did the leaky gut study in Texas. We had no wow. idea, this. but when when we published the paper, these people started coming out of the woodwork. Right. And so, so we're doing. We did a study at UC Davis at the end of last year where we showed a, a forty five percent reduction in acne lesions by taking a probiotic for four weeks. Forty five percent. Forty five percent. That's the same. That's amazing. As, it's the same as the antibiotics they, they use uh, for for acne. The usually the the first first route is, is antibiotics. And so antibiotics can get a 45% reduction in, uh, in lesions also, but they can, in 90 days. 
we did it in 30. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then they go to the Accutane and then you're killing your liver and everything else. So, so we're offering a real option, a healthy option for patients with skin disorders, acne, um, to be able to treat it in a healthy way and not do anything detrimental to the body while they're treating. All right. Awesome. So Tom, can you tell us how has Megaspore specifically helped people with obesity and diabetes? Yeah. So again, it all comes back to that LPS, that, that leaky gut problem. And so, so what the American Diabetic Association has found is that the best marker that is an indicator of how a patient goes from being dysglycemic to diabetic is the amount of LPS that spills into their blood after they eat. Mm. And what they've shown is that they've taken obese people and they've taken diabetics and the obese person has a huge endotoxic response, but the diabetic has an even bigger endotoxic response. And so, so basically, you know, this is such a complicated thing, but to, to simplify it as much as possible is that, you know, we take this focus with diabetes and around blood sugar and the ability to make the cells of your body more sensitive to the insulin. So it will take it up, right? So the, the cells are becoming desensitized to all the sugar in the system. So it takes more and more and more insulin from your body to carry the sugar into the cell. Right. And so that starts out as dysglycemia and eventually develops into diabetes, right? But what everybody doesn't get is that the poisons that are spilling into the bloodstream are what's causing the body to be inflamed. And that inflammation is driving the condition just as much as the, as the cells not letting the insulin in. And wow. so to date, the focus is, how do we make the cells less resistant to letting insulin in? That's not what we should be at. It's not the only thing we should be asking ourselves. Mm. So what we need to be asking ourselves is, how do we stop the spillage of poison into the bloodstream? Because that's creating the cytokine storm, that inflammatory cascade that's driving the, the person from dysglycemia to diabetes. And the same thing, if, even if, if you're at dysglycemia, that's what's causing the dysglycemic person to gain weight is mm -hmm. the concentration of poisons that are spilling. Your body doesn't know what to do with it. If your liver can't keep up with it, then what happens is, is you store it. Where right. do you store it? In the, fat cell, in the fat cells. That's often why when you get somebody, you get a new patient, and say they're, say they're 30, 40 pounds overweight, say they need to lose 12, 15% body fat. And you start, you convince them to start eating healthy, put on some good supplements, they're doing good. And they start getting in, they start burning some fat and they feel awful. Mm -hmm. They're fatigued, they're headachy, they, they just feel awful and they just wanna go eat some sugar. Why is that, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's because there's, the, there's been no change in the concentration of the poisons that are spilling into their bloodstream, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so you got to seal up the gut in order to stop the inflammation. That's really what it comes down to. And, and I think what, what we're doing, we're actually starting a study here in the next month or so at UCLA on diabetics. And we're using a two pronged approach where we are using something to, uh, 
stimulate the, the cells to be more receptive to insulin, but we're doing that while we're sealing up the gut. And we think the combination is going to be much better than what everybody else is trying to do individually. Wow. I mean, what I like about this conversation too, is so many people, when they think about their different imbalances or diseases, I just don't think a lot of people would think like, oh yeah, probiotic would be a good thing to add, or even that would be a front runner in as a game changer. Especially when you're talking about diabetes. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I can tell you this, it, I, I went to the same school you guys went to. We, they didn't teach us that in school. No. You know, that's no. not what they taught us. And, and so um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like it, and, and all it takes is just a Google search. Google diabetes and metabolic endotoxemia. If you're going to read every article, you're going to be sitting in front of that computer for a month. Mm -hmm. because there is so much and it's not coming it's not tom bain's research you know this is the american diabetic association this is the cleveland clinic this is johns hopkins university this isn't me this is some chiropractor doing research in his garage this is real real science you know yeah And, and it's out there and the thing is the the universities and the organizations they know this is this mechanism is in play but they don't have a tool to fix it. The pharma companies have spent billions trying to find a way to neutralize LPS. They can't find it. You know, Procter and Gamble found a way to neutralize LPS in the mouth. And so they, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Crest product called, it's called, uh, I think it's called Crest Detox. And all that product does is it neutralizes the LPS that's in your mouth that came from your gut, went mm-hmm. into your bloodstream and somehow ended up in your gums and is part of the reason why you have gum disease. Right. Wow. But so, it's just getting it at that surface. It's not but, actually but fixing they it. Knew, they knew that it was a problem and they knew they had to address it from the inside, but they didn't have a tool for it. So they found a tool to address it from the outside. Good for mm-hmm. them. I got no problem with that. Um, but, but if they could stop it from the inside, they wouldn't need anything on the outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's, here's one that's going to blow your mind. So Alzheimer's, Right. Here's what we know, right? It's, we know it's an, there's an immune reaction in the gray matter. We know that the lesions that are showing up in the Alzheimer's brain are, is some kind of an immune reaction, but we have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. So end of last year, some guys, they took some post-mortem Alzheimer's brains. They went into the lesions in the brain. They took it apart. Guess what they found? Gut-derived LPS. So wow. what's happening, Alzheimer's is a lifetime of leaky gut. And for wow. whatever reason, that LPS, it starts to degrade the blood-brain barrier, and then it starts to deposit itself in the brain. And so if you have a parent or a grandparent that has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or died of Alzheimer's, and you're telling yourself, oh boy, genetically, I've got a problem because my parent or my grandparent died of Alzheimer's. You should really be saying, I shouldn't be eating like my grandparents or my parents because that's what caused the problem. Right. It's not my genetics. Mm-hmm. Very little of my genetics. The genetics is the fact that maybe you had a weak blood-brain barrier. Or the genetics is maybe that the LPS that's spilled in your system, it didn't affect your blood sugar. It didn't affect, but it went right to your brain. That's where your genetics came in the problem. But it's not the genetics that gave you Alzheimer's. 
it's the gut-derived LPS that found its way to your brain. And then your immune system said, hey, this isn't supposed to be in my brain. So it's trying to get rid of it by causing scar tissue and the, you know, the, the reaction that we know of as the, the Alzheimer's lesions. Right. And so that's wow. a defense by your body to get what's not supposed to be there out. Yes. Wow. I've never heard that. That's amazing. If yeah. you have patients who do have Alzheimer's, do they see any um, regression or anything by starting the megaspore? Have you seen so, any with that? Or is it kind of like pretty What you want to be able to do is you want to be able to talk to a, a 45, 50-year-old patient whose parents died of Alzheimer's. That's where you want to be. Got That's it. your best bet. Now you got a good shot at prevention. Right. When you're talking about the Alzheimer's, prevent, uh, Alzheimer's patient, um, the ability of the spores to pluck the LPS out of the brain is just not there. We have no data that says the spores cross the blood brain barrier, go in mm. and pluck LPS out of, that's not how they function. Right. You know, they, they stay in the gut. They, they stay in the gut for 21 to 28 days and then they leave. So the problem with the, the patient who already has Alzheimer's is the LPS is not being removed from their brain. So the uh, okay, got it. Right. continues. Now you now, can slow the process, Yeah, but you can slow the process of depositing more LPS. But to date, uh, we haven't been able to see that as a regression or an so You could be t potentially like closing back that barrier. Yeah, but, but is that a good thing? Because if the LPS is in there, do you want it closed? Right. I'd like That's to true. think that there might be a mechanism for the body to kick it out. Yeah. You know, so do you want to close it back up? That, right. Those are all things that are for smarter people than me. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Now, Tom, wow. I know like all the fermented foods are such a fad right now on kombucha and all that. Is there any actual benefit to doing that for your so, microbiome? You know, it's a great question. And, and, and that, that question can spread into the lactobacillus bifidobacteria-based supplements that are in the supplement market too. You can, we could put all those things in the same category, right? Yeah. And so this is the thing. There are benefits. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to bash everything. You know, kombucha has health benefits, right? But it's not for the reasons that people think. Mm. Like people think I'm going to drink my kombucha, I'm going to get my probiotics. That's not true. Okay. What you're getting when you drink kombucha, what you're getting when you drink, when you eat yogurt, what you're getting when you take a lactobifido based supplement is you're getting the ferment. So while the bacteria was in there making the kombucha or making the yogurt, it was creating waste products. It was creating the ferment and the ferment has health benefits. It's very good at changing the pH, making the pH of the intestinal tract more acidic. So that improves the growth of your beneficials, right? But it's, there's no probiotic benefits. There's the ferment benefits and the ferment only benefits you as it's passing through. There's no long-term change. You, you've got to drink that kombucha every day to continue to right. maintain those changes. Right. And so there are benefits, but this, and this is the thing with the, with the lactobifido-based probiotics, we like to call them cell, signal mo cell signaling molecules. Right, they're they're very unique uh, communication with our immune system. So when these dead bacteria pass through our digestive tract, and they get to our immune system of our gut, and the DNA of the dead bacteria is presented to our immune system, 
in some cases, symptoms improve, right? Like I told you, the women with chronic uh, urinary tract infections, lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, it helps with that. Mm -hmm. Why? Why does it help with that? Well, the people who sell lactobacillus rhamnosus GG tell you this crazy story about bacteria that you swallowed going and living in your vagina and getting rid of your bacterial, your, your, uh, bacterial infections. That is absolutely not supported right. by science. There is no <laughs> fat from your mouth to your vagina. Right. So it doesn't work that way. Anatomically, it doesn't work that way. You but, heard it here, folks. <laughs> but, but does that dead bacteria or that dead bacterial DNA get presented to the payer's patches, your immune system of your gut, and does that then cause the pH of the vaginal tract to change for some reason? Okay, now that's something I could wrap my head around. Right. But it's something we need more research for. But they don't bother with that. They got symptom improvement. We don't need to know why it is. We're going to make up why it works. We're going to tell you a nonsense story for why it works. And, uh, and you're going to believe it. Right. So, so I, there's cell signaling. The bacteria are cell signaling molecules. So when you're looking at a a kombucha or a, a fermented drink, the bacteria in there, they're dead. Um, and, but they can create a, a signal to your immune system to change a symptom. That's okay. I, I'm not disputing it. And, and because of that, there will always be a place in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the marketplace for products like that. Right. But we're into changing things. I, I want to change the microbiome. And then I want you to talk to me about what symptoms are better. Right. And so, and to do that, you can't, you don't do that with yogurts or kombuchas or fermented foods or, or any of those things, but that doesn't mean they're not beneficial, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A pre-digested fiber, a, a fiber that's been digested by bacteria that goes into your intestinal tract is going to feed your good bacteria and increase short chain fatty acids and just make that environment healthy again. That's real science. I'm not disputing that. But it's not because the bacteria went in there and they lived and they populated. And that's not true. It's not supported by science. But it doesn't mean they don't have benefits. And so, so, the, so they, they're all kind of in the same category. The kombuchas, the yogurts, the fermented foods, and, and the lactobifido-based probiotics. They're metabolic response modifiers. Mm, that's I really that. what they are. But it's drug therapy. It's treating a symptom. We, we don't do that. We right. like to change the microbiome, get to the root of the problem, fix it, and correct the problem once and for all. Right, which is awesome. So Tom, how do you recommend people start taking Megaspore? And go in a little bit um, from people who have, you know, like the bigger imbalances, the bigger diseases, and then just like general health, like are the dosages different? So, you know, I, Patients get mad when I say these kind of things and, and I get why they do, but you know, they call it practice for a reason, right? When we're in practice, we're practicing, we're learning as we go. Right. And so when I first got the spores, I got the first, uh, for initially the first or, uh, 50 bottles were sent to me and they were sent to me in unlabeled bottles. And I just started giving it to my hardest patients, irritable bowel, inflammatory bowel, the hardest patients I had in my practice. And then I got another hundred bottles. And so I probably, I, I believe that I got to about patient 100, 105. And I just was starting them at the full dose and doing everything. And I got a hundred patients on the product and never saw anything negative about the product. 
I'm talking to the guys in the lab. I'm like, guys, I'm not seeing anything negative. Well, the minute that came out of my mouth, a parade of patients walked into my office <laughs> with very uncomfortable symptoms. Yeah. And so intestinal cramping, diarrhea, rashes, um, and, and, and it was like, boom, boom, boom. It was like, okay, you had to go say there was no problem. And now here they are. So what I, this is my, um, this is how I, I kind of frame this. 80% of the people you give the product to are going to have no problem with it. They're going to go right to full dose. They're going to do great with it. They're either going to feel better or they're going to feel nothing. Mm -hmm. And so the other 20%, we're going to break them into a, a subcategory of people then, right? So those 20%, 90% of those people are going to come in and go, Hey, I've got some intestinal cramping and a little bit of a loose stool. I can tolerate it. Should I just fight through it or should I stop? And those patients say fight through it. It's going to be three day, three to seven days fighting through it, and then you'll be fine. It's a Herxheimer reaction. It's a die-off reaction. Mm -hmm. So if the, if the reaction is mild, then fight through it. You'll get through it. You'll kill off that candida or whatever it is, and you'll feel better. But that 10%, now it's not 10% of the whole. It's only 10% of the 20%, right? Right. That little fraction of people are the ones that keep you up at night. They're the ones that email you at two in the morning saying they're on the bathroom floor with huge cramping and diarrhea. And so the thing is, is that if we had to go through that in order to get to the other side, then I'd be coaching people to fight through it. But I found that you just don't have to suffer in order to get better. And so if you look at the bottle now, we actually have the titration directions on the bottle because we've just run into so many issues with patients. And, and so, the full dose of the product is two capsules a day and you take it two capsules at once and you take it with or after a meal. And so when we start a patient on the product, and I, I just do this with everybody now uh, because I found healthy people reacting or my perception of a healthy person mm -hmm. having a reaction, a hard reaction. So I just start everybody on it. And what I do is it, it says on the side of the bottle, take one capsule every other day for a week then take one capsule a day for a week and then take two capsules a day. And so if you do that, like I said, 80% of your population will go right up to the full dose and be fine. A small percentage of the, of the ones that, or a large percentage of the ones that, that have symptoms will stick it out and fight right through it. The other people, you're going to see the reaction earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, I took one, the first capsule I took of Megaspore and I had this reaction, that reaction, that's a psychological issue because what we see the real reactions happen on the fourth to eighth dose. Interesting. It doesn't happen on the first dose. doesn't happen on the second dose. If it does, then you need to do some emotional work and you need to work with that patient in other ways. Right. right. But when they come in and they're like, hey, you know what? I took it for a week and I was fine. And then all of a sudden you're like, yep, that's, that's the reaction. We don't necessarily want it, but it's, it's a die-off reaction. It's the same thing you see if you take antimicrobials um, and your body reacts, uh, you know, in a dysfunctional way to it or an uncomfortable way to it. So if you go slower with those patients, you see earlier at a lower dose that it's a problem for them. And so the reaction's much less. Mm. Everybody seems to have a starting dose. You know, and I, I, in my practice, I, I, 
I've had a, a lot of chronic degenerative diseases. I seem to attract those patients. You know, they've been to lots of different doctors. And so some of these patients are really sick. I'll start them on a quarter of a capsule twice a week. Everybody's got a starting dose. Everybody's got right. some, something where they can tolerate it, right? And so when you're using that minuscule amount, you're still getting competitive exclusion. You're still getting nutrient production by the spores. You're getting benefits. You're not getting immune modulation, though. The immune modulating benefits, that's not till you get to that second cap. So that's a numbers game. So you've got to get over 3 billion to get the immune modulating benefits. And that's where the real benefits are. So, you know, if you've got somebody and you're like, well, you know, they only tolerate one cap a day. Great. Okay. Then that's it. But we've got to do more because they're not, we're not changing their immune response. Right. They're not getting that full benefit, correct? Right. Without the full dose. Now, exactly. Tom, is there ever benefit, like someone that has those hugely high levels of LPS in their bloodstream, um, is there ever a benefit to taking a higher dose? So, you know, I, I traveled 400,000 miles last year. I'm not very proud of that. And uh, it's been hard on my family, but it's been, you know, trying to grow this company and trying to get this science out to the rest mm -hmm. of the world, not just the U.S., and so I, you know, at the beginning of January, I found myself in Malaysia eating street food because there was no, nothing to eat. And so you can bet I was taking six of those capsules a day at that point. You know? <laughs> so, Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so there are very few, I, I, you know, look, it's my company, right? So you would think as a guy who owns the company would say, yes, obviously take more. It's going to be great. Right. But I, I really just haven't seen that benefit. Now, okay. when a patient comes in with a, an acute flu or they call me or text me or email me or something and say, hey, I've got the flu, I'll tell them, you know, for a couple of days, take it twice a day. Take, yeah. take, take the full dose twice a day. But to be honest with you, I really don't see more benefits going above two capsules a day. Right. Okay. Okay. That's great to know. Yeah, that is good to know. All right, Tom. Well, this, I feel like this interview was you saying all this amazing research and basically Nicole and I are just saying, wow, that's how good it was. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> mostly we're just like, wow. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> well, that's good. So we yeah, didn't even have good. much to say because it's so amazing. <laughs> But thank you so much for your time, Tom. We so appreciate it. You know, as soon as we started this podcast, we were like, we have to have Dr. Tom Bain on to talk about Megaspore because it's impacted both of our personal lives and is benefiting all of our patients. Um, so we're so happy that you are on the journey and spreading the word about this awesome product. Absolutely. I'd love to hear that. I'm humbled that two smart people like you would uh, would feel that way about me. So thank you. You're welcome. And you guys, we are going to, um, all of this information will be in the show notes, but you guys will now have the ability to order Megaspore Biotic and other products from Microbiome Labs that we didn't get the chance to talk to you about to today. Um, we will leave the link in the show notes, but you guys will just click on that link and use our practitioner code, which is CWTD for coffee with the docs. And that will give you access to try this amazing spore-based probiotic for yourself. So thank you so much, Tom, again, for your time. Absolutely. And Thanks, we're Tom. so excited to share this um, with our listeners. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you.
The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by the site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.